Hi, this is James Rousseau, and I would like to welcome you to another edition of The Coiling Solution, where we look to empower you through awareness and actionable insights. As a citizen of the United States, we should each understand the services that our tax dollars fund and are supposed to provide us in return. On this episode, I'm honored to have Farrah Shelley, one of Atlanta's finest police officers, joining me for a dialogue about law enforcement, a critical public service. During this episode, Farrah offers a transparent insight view of law enforcement, including the immediate financial challenges of officers, the longer-term challenges of retirement plans and pensions, as well as the culture and philosophical difficulties within departments as it relates to policing. Lastly, Ferris shares her perspective on what we, as citizens, can do to assist in community policing. So I advise you to sit back and buckle up as we link up with Ferris Shelley. All right, um... I am here for another edition of the Coralink Solution with Miss Farrah Shelley, hailing from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Farrah, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Okay, thank you once again for having me. Um, my name is Farrah Shelley. Again, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, born and raised in Georgia. Uh, settled in Atlanta I, um, after school. Became a police officer at the age of 23. I've been so for the past six years. I graduated from uh, Spelman College mm-hmm. with a bachelor's in psychology, um, and then I went on to get my master's at Central Michigan University. And what made you go into law enforcement? Um, to be honest, at the time, the first thing that brought came to my mind was the opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was plastered everywhere in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looking for police officers. And within college, initially, I wanted to be an Air Force JAG. My mm-hmm. dad was a uh, retired military army, mm-hmm. a master sergeant. And uh, once the opportunity as a police officer presented itself, I did not want to go into um, Air Force anymore. Didn't want to go to law school anymore towards the end of my college career because um, I felt like at that point it was more about the money than the passion. Right. Um, I came across a couple attorneys and uh, friends of attorneys that just seemed like they didn't really have a life or the mm. time freedom I was kind of looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, uh, bills still had to be paid right. while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do <laughs> with this degree. I just paid a lot of money for. So um, I decided that if I could have did the military, I could do law enforcement. And that's what initially brought me into that. After all, I still wanted to help people. Right. Um, so that was definitely the perfect opportunity to do so. Um, and that's how that started. Got it. So let's go right into some of the things about, you know, law enforcement and where you sit six years in. And I'm sure it's been probably a, a interesting uh, journey, you know, and it's funny because on this show, we, we cover a number of different things. Right. Um, try to talk a lot about personal leadership development, mm-hmm. a lot about entrepreneurship and uh, social justice. And you happen to touch all three. Uh, I'd like to start with the last one first, because a lot of times when people think social justice, they think about the last set of news clips they've seen, right? And obviously it touches on um, the interaction with law enforcement, right? Now you're on the other side of that because you are law enforcement. The interesting thing though people don't realize is that um, when it comes to um, law enforcement and social justice, you know, social law enforcement is a part of public service and public safety, all right? So it's a critical part. And a lot of times law enforcement is underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. Um, Very much. So. Oh, I see you from your eyes. <laughs> you can't have that problem in Atlanta. Uh, absolutely. What? We do. Get out of here. Yes, we do. Tell me about that. Um, so right now, one, I came on at a time where 
our pension, the plans are completely different from the veterans that are on. Mm. So the reason why the veterans are still there, because they are vested pretty mm. much. It, uh, they've put too much time in to leave now. Now, when it comes to those who have around the time I have on or younger, um, they always tell us if take this, um, use it and take these credentials and go elsewhere. One, because we're not going to pay. We don't have the same um, pension plan. Uh, the ones behind me is more so of a 401k. Now in the time, at least in Atlanta, the morale is down. You know, no one is getting paid. People have families. They're already exhausted because they're having to do part times just to make up for what they're not making at work. And even still, it's, we, we've been given no signs that it's going to get better. Right. More so of uh, it's going to get worse. Got it. So that's that's pretty much the backdrop of that. Yeah, I watched a series on uh, Netflix about Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really interesting series. It showed the journey Flint, Michigan was going through. You know, they've, they've had right. one of the most, they've been one of the most yeah. challenged cities in North America, right? right? And mm-hmm. uh, a new uh, chief took over. He tried to institute a lot of new programs, and he was doing really well. And then they got to the part of redoing the city's budget, and he was already challenged. And and not only could he not get additional money, I think either they froze him or may have even taken some money from him. I can't remember, but uh, that was the end, right, of the story. And uh, he was totally um, discouraged, uh, if I remember it correctly. But in any event, so let me ask you this: mm-hmm. so you're a millennial. Or you're at the edge of the millennium. No, I you're, say you're, I'm I'm you're, towards you're, the edge, but I'm I still have a couple years ago. <laughs> you're right there. So 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 as you as you watch a lot of things unfold, um, so you've got two perspectives: your millennial and your in law enforcement. How do you process these things as they're happening? Right, because I've got a lot of questions for you. One, as things unfold, you know, you're with friends and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, and probably out of uniform, mm-hmm. you have to hear a lot. I do. From friends and whatnot who may or may not know that you're actually officer of the law. All of my friends know. They all know. Okay. Yeah, all right. All so how do you how do you process all that? What what give me a give us some insight. On the millennial, well, on both. These conversations are actually in and out of uniform. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, even within uh officers, police officers ourselves, we have our own point of views. Right. So sometimes we go head to head when it comes to debates, because we're talking about um, we're debating what should have been done, what tactics would have been better, what would have um, prevented this. Let's just be real young black man from being killed, right. um, et cetera. And sometimes I, what we think uh, is different when it comes to my friends outside of uniform. Sometimes I have to um, I guess I have to. The best way to put this, check them mm-hmm. um, because they know who I am as an officer. Right. Um, um, I'm honored to say because of being friends with me, you know, they have they have a different perspective when it comes to law enforcement. It's just not centered around what they see in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but and even I guess with the age, so it may not necessarily I can't really see a. Me having to really battle with anything as far as my age wise, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably the youngest in my crew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of the, my friends are older. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, they have an old heart. <laughs> and uh, definitely a lot of the, the people I'm around with in law enforcement clearly are older than me. Um, they have, you know, they have their different point of views as well. But a lot of times um, there are a lot of things that we actually agree on. Um I think the most the biggest thing we may have uh, a disagreement on at work is the younger ones, especially myself, 
being that I've been introduced to um, that business mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about the biggest debate I have one with my coworkers at work because a lot of them are veterans. A lot of them don't really have that mindset. So what do you mean by this business when you say this business? Outside of being a full-time police officer, um, I've been with Legal Shield for the, for the past few years, uh, which is, of course, the first network marketing or any form of business right. that I've been a part of. And I bring that up because before Legal Shield mm-hmm. uh, joining this company, I had no business mindset whatsoever. Um, I've always been a hard worker. My parents have always been a hard worker. College, I had three jobs, one to get a discount off my clothes, uh, one to just put some extra money in my pocket, and then my main focus. Um, So working has never been an issue for me to get what I want. And, um, you know, I was only focused on climbing the ladder to get to this career that was going to bring me that income that this this degree promised me. And of course, at the time, immediately graduating from college, jumping into grad school, honestly, Mm. only to give me time to figure out what I wanted to do in my life because I still had bills to be paid, still had been on my own for a couple of years um, and was not trying to throw the liability, obviously, back on my parents. So um, this company really opened another side of me that didn't exist. Um, and that's one of the, probably one of the biggest things between myself and um, coworkers, especially older mm-hmm. coworkers, um, in which we are different. Their highlight of life is retire the, the part-time jobs we still do and getting that extra money and retiring because they're closer to that. Part-time jobs meaning like... Uh, so part-time jobs, um, especially in the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of people as far as citizens, which we'll call civilians who are mm-hmm. not police, that'll say, hey, police officers don't make a lot of money. And then you'll have people who perceive that police officers do. Mm-hmm. Um, truth be told, in other states, hands down, as far as base salary, they do. Um, within they city do of, what? Make a lot of money? Make a lot of money, okay. yes. Within the city of Atlanta, as I said, we don't make a lot of money whatsoever. What's a, what's a lot of money for, for police officers, sir? Much more than... Okay, let me just use myself as an example. Mm-hmm. I have a master's degree. I am... Uh, um, I cap out at our pay grade with a bachelor's, mm-hmm. uh, which is on paper, it still shows even on the site to the public $42,000. Okay. So to give you an example, I looked at my, um, and I posted about, I like sometimes, you know, my way of venting without getting in trouble <laughs> with my agency <laughs> is social media mm-hmm. um, and getting to other people, no matter if you're in law enforcement or not. But I, my, this previous W-2 said 44000 and some change. When indeed I take home $28,000 and change every year. <laughs> to be exact, an hour I make $13.50. Uh, As a part-time an or full-time hour, officer? Full-time officer, an hour. Okay. So the question is, how does how is that, you know? I'm sorry. First of all, I, I'm sorry for asking this if you were uncomfortable No, absolutely it. not. I've okay. shared it already. So as a full-time officer... Now, full-time usually is 2,080 hours a year, mm-hmm. 40 hours a week, That's 2,008 correct. hours a year. That's correct. Are you telling me as a full-time officer, 2,080 hours a year, your W-2 read $28,000? No, my you? W-2 reads 44, as of recently, reads 44000 and change. Okay. However, 
you know, and a lot of times we allow that to cloud our minds when instead of actually breaking down what we're taking home, our okay. net pay. Okay. Uh, net, yeah, My net. net pay every year is $28,000 in change, I yes. I got it, okay. Um, and, which breaks down to $13 in change uh, an hour. I got it. So you're looking at take home oh, ability absolutely. to, I got it, I got it. Um, and this came about recently uh, with a, the tuggle with the city in regards to receiving a raise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been three to four times since I've been on the apartment where Co-workers will get excited um, that, you know, there's rumors of getting raised and this, this, this. And for whatever reason, because of the pattern of what we've, you know, the relationship with our higher ups, because of Legal Shield, I've never been concerned about that. Got it. So I think there's a, a point you're making. So I want to make sure I'm not I'm not losing your point. Is a part of your point that compared to other cities, one, your base pay is lower compared to a lot of other cities horrible. across the country. Horrible. Horrible. You yes. guys have kind of done the, the check The state that. of Georgia is horrible. Okay. And then two, a lot of the internal conversations, this frustration relative to the longer term uh, officers are just trying to get to retirement versus folks like you who are seeking other part-time ways to make money. Well, they, they enjoy the part. That's it. They, they want to retire. And in, in between time, they're still hustling on their part-time jobs. Got it. Um, and that's where going back to that, that's where we, especially as the city mm-hmm. of Atlanta officers, we make most of our money. Got it. So no, we don't make a lot of money as far as base pay, mm-hmm. but we work our butts off and use the rest of our time mm-hmm. um, committing to part-time jobs, which we're working security at a bank or working the sport, the baseball, football games, or um, say, for instance, mine, I sit uh, as security for Delta. And does the the police department help you secure those jobs? Um, Yes, we have to get them, quote unquote, they are approved through the city. Okay. Um, but we are directly paid typically by the company that we're working and for. And these are beyond your 40 hours a week. These are beyond your 40 hours a week and getting, you're talking about getting paid two, three times more hour than what we're getting. Well, four, two, three, four and up an hour more than what we're getting paid at work. Got it. So as you can imagine, officers focus is more so on their part times than it is doing their base hours. That was, that was good information. Let me circle back to the, 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 the question mm-hmm. when these Events happen, and unfortunately, they've happened frequently. Mm-hmm. These unfortunate deaths and interactions and whatnot, whether it's death, death or not, we've, we've just seen a lot of interactions. Right. What's the conversation like? To the extent you can share that, you know, when you when you guys see the blow up and it's all over Fox and CNN, and you guys happen to catch it together or watch it, and you it's see each true. other, what's the conversation like? It's to the point where we don't have to watch the news to get all this information, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes a pattern. Which, of course, we all believe these are not things or events that just start happening. Right. It's just that people and uh, citizens got to the point where it's, I don't know if it's absolutely fed up and, hey, there's a way to put this out there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there goes the media. A lot of times we'll huddle up at work. Then we'll replay a video and we go at it then when we're talking about it or we're showing our disagreement. It's been a couple of times where I like to express myself. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few times at work. Where uh, um, it's been once where I was in the hot seat for violating policy, and and I will I'll say this. Um, say for instance, most agencies, including mine, we have a policy where you're not supposed to present yourself on social media or things of that nature within your uniform. Mm-hmm. Anything that's going to give the department a bad image, I okay. guess. Of course, my agency, uh, they tend to. 
use that policy when it benefits them. Mm. Um, and just to give an example, we had the chief and mayor approved a silly video where officers are dancing and this is supposed to make us all look happy. To me, it made us look like clowns. Mm-hmm. Where we're in uniform dancing to, uh, what is it, John Legend, because I'm happy, mm-hmm. or Pharrell, because I'm happy. Um, we're in the front of a Krispy Kreme's donut shop dancing within the different agency, the uh, department, dancing around in our uniform. And this is approved. This is after, which I know most people are aware of, uh, Eric Garner, after he passed away, right. after he was killed. Right. Let's put it like that. Um, and I think right at that time, um, the officer, uh, Mike Brown's murderer, had been um, acquitted, mm-hmm. the officer. So you had these two events, something, the results of a trial, and then another death right. back to back. So I, of course, it was in a position where I absolutely did not agree with either. Mm-hmm. I was very upset. Right. Um, and at that point, went to social media. Um, there was a black and white photo of me in uniform mm-hmm. with my hands up, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, known in the community Uh, especially around these events as a don't shoot stance. And it wasn't just that. It was what I said, which I didn't understand why or how my agency wouldn't understand that to me in a way that's community policing. If we're going to community policing, our area that we're covering as far as our community is hurting. Right. You know, (laughs) these are the people we interact with every day. These are my people (laughs) as I am a minority. Um, But my words under that post was to my born in. No, I'm sorry. To my sworn in family. Let's make sure um, your reaction is solely based off my action and not the color of my skin. And I said to my born in family, which is minorities, let's make sure our hearts are expressed through movement and not harm against my uniform. Mm -hmm. And that was because it, it got to the point where after black men was killed out of rage, someone killed a, a a ambush, a couple officers and killed them. And it was back and forth, back and forth. Um, and within a few minutes of me posting that, yeah, I got called in the office the moment I went to work. Um, had to pull up my social media. I saw that. Got a little lashing. But it just made me see where it's kind of aggravating that you, the, the, what I don't like about the uniform, I get it. Uh, we have to be professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything I do even within uniform and out, I try to make sure as it's professional, right. especially when it's presented to, sure. you know, the public. Sure. Um, and of course, there was nothing unprofessional about that to me. So after that lashing out from my agency, one of the first things I did was reach out to my legal show mentor. <laughs> and I remember crying my eyes out, calling, calling him bawling because I was more so ticked off right. um, that I can't believe they did this or they didn't see the meaning behind that or all they care about. Now you want to point out that I'm in uniform on right. social media. Who cares? Right. Um, and the first thing he told me, he asked me, he was like, well, was it against, is it against your policy? And I was shocked from him. He's my, um, my leadership. He's a minority, but I was a little shocked at first because, you know, I'm, I'm calling, crying, <laughs> wanting to hear what I want to hear initially. Support, right? Yeah. I wanted support and he was, you know, doing what he was supposed to do. Right. And he was being that big brother. He was like, well, what, were you wrong? Right. Uh, according to your policy, were you wrong? And I'm like, well, yes. He was like, well, let me ask you this. How else can you go about 
making a difference when it comes to that. Right. That was his. Right. And it set me, it made me sit back for a moment right. and I thought about it. And I really thought about, um, I was excited about Legal Shield already and talking to people because come across so many people within my community right. um, in which I was, um, when I was, I'm at the airport precinct now, but I policed in a uh, majority minority area, a rough area. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can say the hood. <laughs> and um, even so, you saw, you heard a lot of things. And the, even the calls we got, right. we got a lot of calls that weren't even criminal related. We got a lot that were. Right. But at the same time, we got many calls that had nothing to do with anything that we can resolve. Right. Something dealing with identity theft, something dealing with civil, family, domestic, things of that nature. And um, it naturally becoming a part of this business allowed me to, my, my will start turning because every time I turned around, I was ear hustling and I heard someone talking about something that they could use this service for. Right. So after that and after that incident happened at work and talking to my mentor and he was stressing, you know, what can you do? And it really just made me sit back and think about what I had within this company within right. Legal Shield. And I have to admit from there, it just kind of took off. What are the thoughts that run through your mind, you know, every day when you when you put on your uniform? What do you think about? Sometimes we as officers, we get complacent. Um, there's been times where I've thought, you know what, I really am putting on a bulletproof vest. And this brand that don't nobody take me out <laughs> or any one of my coworkers while we're at work. And we hear that, you know, you hear that across the media left and right mm-hmm. nowadays, too. Um, not so much minorities uh, being on the other end of the gun um, as, of course, these massive shootings and, mm-hmm. you know, other things that have been going on. As a citizen, if, if citizens asked you, um, what can we do to help? What are the things that you would ask? Speak where we don't have a voice. Mm. And it's kind of crazy. It's cliche to say that because I feel like um, I feel like my community is definitely gaining a voice. We have a voice. And it's more so of us being aware now that we have a voice. Mm. Um, so the, it's funny to say that, you know, <laughs> speak for officers who don't have a voice. And I guess what I mean by that is. Most law enforcement, most coworkers within my agency, we're not we're not going to go downtown and protest or, you know, uh, we're not going to do this or, or be a part of this important meeting or hear so in fear that of the lashback. Yeah. So when I say that, that's more so of the voice that uh, could come from the citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they hear them to me before they hear us. Um, get out and vote. Um um, our eight, our city, city of Atlanta has been a democratic city for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. So say, for instance, this last, um, this most recent election, we just, uh, just had a mayor who's a minority mm-hmm. who left, um, to be honest, he's not the biggest fan of, uh, his first police or fire. Um, and the young lady who is now in office, she's also a minority mm-hmm. and, I tell my coworkers this all the time. Had I not been a police officer, I probably would have automatically voted for, you know, just as a citizen, a minority. And and that's what's that's being pushed more than anything within our community. It wasn't honestly, I have to say it wasn't so more so what she can do for the community. Of course, they all have their pitch and their promises. And and I believe that, you know, community wise, there will be a lot. But no one's concern was. The officers. Mm-hmm. Now, we had the, uh, another young lady who was Republican. She was also not a minority. Mm-hmm. And um, 
there were these different things that she was suggesting and, you know, what could be done for the community. And um, also the fact that to start in regards to your police, let's start by paying them. That's definitely going to bring up the morale when it comes to taking care of this community. Um, And that was that wasn't one of the things that was important, I'll say, to the citizens. And I can't say that the climate we're in. Uh, doesn't have a lot to do with that. Right. Um, and that's why I said I couldn't say that if I was not within law enforcement and I didn't see, you know, some of the struggles that law enforcement has and within my own agency and the being that we're the seventh largest agency in the country. Seven. Yes. Gotcha. Believe the seventh largest, I believe. We were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. And um, but we're we're struggling. Right. We're hurting. Right. And. That's about the most when it comes to this, the citizens mm-hmm. um, having having a voice in a sense for the police right. when they don't have one. Um, yeah, that I, I think that sounds so crazy because it's, you know, for the most part, it's been about, you know, the minorities having a voice, you know, or the voices being heard with. Uh, I have a colleague who is. I don't know if you may have heard of him, Chris Stewart. He's been behind a lot of the injustice shootings, a lot of the injustice shootings. And I definitely commend him for that. With Mike Brown, um, pretty much it it, it became to the point every shooting that we've had where uh, where a black man has been killed. He's been uh, one of the main attorneys within that. Uh, So I. I see it, of course, with the attorneys and the, the people in the profession. But when it comes to the citizens, um, the... He's representing the families of. Mm-hmm. Got it. Represented the families of. Okay. Um, and, of course, all cases haven't, uh, weren't in the family's favor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some, some um, very disappointing uh, results. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what I would love to do, you know, because one of the questions I was going to ask you, I'd like to close the show with, but you've kind of segue to it um, is, you know, who do you know that that we should know? And it's not like Chris Stewart is a good, a good person for us to talk. Chris to. Stewart and John Lewis. And John Lewis. I love me some John Lewis. He and I'm still working on. We had a interview set up. Um, mm-hmm. And it, to be honest, it was kind of rocked around legal shield. Mm-hmm. I'm at the airport now. So I had the pleasure of seeing people when they come in and out. That's mm-hmm. when I initially got to meet him. Mm-hmm. And me being a, a millennial, I have to admit that initially I didn't know the significance of this man. And that's when my veterans was like, the coworkers were like, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't know who John Lewis is or what he's done. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I uh, picked up on it. Um, and ever since, been good friends. Anytime he comes sure. through, um, and he's so humble. Sure. He doesn't, never has any kind of security. Uh, we initially scheduled, which I'm still working on that, um, had to reschedule where he had approved um, just to sit down with me, just to talk. And Chris Stewart was one of the first attorneys, the main attorney that came to mind mm-hmm. um, because he's already heavily involved 
Um, he's known nationwide. He's been behind a lot of the shootings. And I personally, I've thrown that out there when it comes to legal show. I think that that's a great, uh, that would be a great, a great, great, great attribute to not only legal shield and what we stand for, but our minority community when we're talking to them and we're reaching out to them. And just to go back to the one of the things that caught my attention when it came to legal shield immediately. Obviously, I'm a minority. I have a 24 year old brother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're both adopted. My, I love my parents to death. Um, he was born uh, when he was born. We were. That's when we were, uh, of course, I was about, what, six years old. Um, so we were uh, reunited, and we've never been apart since. But one of the first things that came to my mind with this service is that 24-hour emergency access. And him, even though he's 24 now, six, six years ago, I forgot how old that would make him. Excuse me on the math. But that was the first, one of the first things that came to mind, him having that access, right. educating him, him being covered, my mom and my mom knowing what it means for him to have this. And, and, and even though we were, we grew up in a, a, a nice town in Georgia, mm-hmm. about an hour or so away from Atlanta, where um, our, our community, that's not necessarily one of the first things that, you know, one of our first worries within that community. Right. But just in general, right. as him becoming older, becoming a young man, and just having access. Right. Even if that, because obviously he's a good kid, mm-hmm. but nowadays it doesn't matter. You know, it does not matter. So that was that that hit home to me more than anything. Right. Um, and so one of the recent and I don't I don't dream a lot. And I, I want to say this because it was more so of a nightmare. Uh, one of the things that scared the I'm trying not to curse, <laughs> scared the mess out of me um, was I had a dream that I um, a couple of us were sent to a call. Um, I don't remember if the individual had a gun or whatnot, but he was he was black. Right. It's a minority. And when we got to the call, everybody pointed out the guns at the individual. And I took a closer look and it was my brother. Mm. And I just remember myself, you know, screaming, wait, right. <laughs> you know, jumping in between him and the guns that are being pointed at him. Right. And Thank God, God nothing, nothing happened. happened. Right. And, and I, um, that, that was the, the nightmare within, within itself. itself. I woke, I woke up. up. Sure. Um, but I, I feel, feel like, like that's, that's almost as if what we have, have to do as police. police. We, when it comes to our community, um, one thing I will say with the city of Atlanta is, and that's why I'm a police officer still, mm-hmm. because I will tell you these events that have been going on and make you say, F this, I'm over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. And especially with being on the the other side with Legal Shield and feeling like you have a better way, a stronger way to 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 connect. Right. Um, it'll make you want to be done with it all together. But the part that holds me also still is Legal Shield for one and being able to be on the other side and have insight um, that I can bring back to my community when I'm talking to them about um the service or what this means for them in their household or their kid and that young son they have. Right. Um, but uh, that was a pretty scary experience for me. I can see how me. much it still bothers you. Absolutely. <laughs> I can see in your eyes how much it still bothers you as you talk about it. And that's Absolutely. one of the, um, uh, yeah. that's, 
Well, thank you for um, for sharing with us today. Absolutely. And thank you for uh, hopefully uh, hopefully folks got some of those takeaways. There's some meaningful takeaways in there in terms of how we can help our uh, our uh, law enforcement. Um, sounds like underpaid uh, could use some help uh, from a voting perspective, from a stand up and express your opinions and your thoughts with our uh, respectfully mm-hmm. with our city officials uh, through the the right processes. Uh, and uh, let your voice be heard. And I think the last thing I say in regards to, I want to say in regards to law enforcement and what we mm-hmm. can do mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> is continue pushing that community policing. Mm-hmm. And for example, we had a, a, a lot of people, he went viral. A lot of people know him and I forget his name. He's from Little Rock, Arkansas. It's a Caucasian officer, mm-hmm. Tommy. Um, and he's on social media all the time within the, the, um, the, uh, the struggling parts of the community there in which he's shown in uniform. He's given back to the kids. The kids know him by his name. Okay. When have you seen kids in a, in a, a, um, struggling community run up to the police anytime they see him right. anytime his car rolls up he's sending he's had has this nonprofit where people are uh, sending gifts and money mm. and things for him to give back to the kids and right. and and not only the kids but the adults the the mentally ill I, I, and I love that image right. of him right. um but of course it was it was no coincidence that his department and you have people who don't understand they I won't say don't understand don't care right. within law enforcement and higher ups that find a technical a technicality mm. when it comes to policy and want to strip him from that. So one of the things with which was very important within our community, one of the things they got him on was they made him stop wearing his uniform. He couldn't show himself within those struggling parts of the community, mm. interacting with the community, uh, having lunch with the kids, playing mm. sports with the kids, uh, taking a group of the mentally ill who whose faces light up when he rose up in the neighborhood, taking them out to breakfast. They made him take all of that down within uniform. He can no longer post any of those in uniform. That's counterintuitive. You would think they would want that. So, of course, when he's at work, because he's over that community police and he can't show himself. So the video is only video footage is only over the community and hearing his voice. But he can no longer be seen within the Mm. video interacting. So I I use that because that's that's. That's viral. That's na- nationwide. Right. He's known nationwide. He's been on uh, invited on many different shows. That example right there extends to agencies across the state. That extends to officers who want to be a part of the community in that way. Right. But you're going to have somebody behind closed doors who's who's pushing policy when it comes to things of that nature. And it's almost as if. When I did what I did, say the post I made, um, the last the feedback I got was, you know, is she for us or against us? Is she for police? Which I'm like, what kind of stupid question is that? I'm a police officer. Mm -hmm. I would just stress as far as law enforcement, don't be afraid to stand up for what you feel is right. Mm -hmm. I get it. You know, you have that job security. You have a family you have to take care of. But there's still ways that you can not just sit back and say this is okay. Well, thank you for sharing. And you'll have to introduce us to Chris Stewart. Yes. You can get some of his lessons and, and some of his insights. So thank you, uh, Coraline Solution audience, for being with us again. You just heard it from Farrah Shelley. Thank you again Atlanta, for having Georgia. me. No, thank you for being here and taking your time away while we're in beautiful Montego yes. Bay, One Jamaica. more day. I'm about to turn up. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Coiling Solution. If you find the podcast to be of value, please subscribe, rate, and review on whatever service you listen to. This program is about empowering you through awareness and actionable insights in the areas of personal leadership development, entrepreneurship, and social justice with a particular focus on education. As you listen to these podcasts, you may have questions or commentary, all of which I invite as I'm here to serve. Go to our website, thecorelinksolution.com, and right below the show notes, you will see a comment section. You can use it to ask your questions, mention challenges you face in the areas I've mentioned, and even tell me what other guests you'd like to hear from. Alternatively, you can do the same through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for linking up, and I'll see you next episode.